electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, big tech's big rebound. Several stocks hitting new highs again today, even as the Dow touches a 400-point drop. How key are those names to a summer rally, which Tom Lee now says could get a little choppy? We'll debate that with our investment committee and joining me for the hour today. Shannon Sakosha, Joe Terranova, Josh Brown, Pete Nigerian. It's great to see everybody. Let's begin with tech. That Nasdaq hitting a new record high off of the open today. Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Google all reaching new milestones. Apple getting awfully close as well. That stock's been on the move big time. As I said, it is great to be back. It's good to be with all of you. Josh Brown. Aside from those, I've got CrowdStrike, which is yours. I've got NVIDIA, which is yours. And they are ripping. Yo, there was this moment like two months ago where everyone was like, oh, cyclicals. Like you have to be in these companies that were founded in 1890 and pull copper out of the ground and turn it into pet rocks. And that's super cool. But in reality, all that was really happening beneath the surface was the growth trade was biding its time. You saw these epic um, uh, setups forming, these, these really long bases. Amazon, such a great example of that. We talked about the bigger the base, the higher the space. Amazon's been basing since July of last year. This breakout, which today is absolutely epic, is almost 12 full months in the making. And there were a lot of charts like that. So now the cyclicals are getting whacked. The XLE is down 3%. They're hitting the regional banks. Uh, There's a lot going on right now. But people are returning to the companies that they know, even if the economy has peaked in terms of its growth rate and starts to decelerate, they know that these companies are not peaking, are not decelerating, are a secular story. So there are a lot of places Um, to go for investors. It's not just five stocks. It seems like that sometimes, but obviously the big five all look phenomenal today. Google new highs, Microsoft new highs, Facebook new highs. But then look, Shop is running, Zoom is running, DocuSign's running. So there's a lot to like in the long-term growth trade. Those stocks are working really well once again. And I hope you didn't sell them all out to buy a company that makes, you know, lead fillings for your grandmother's teeth. Those stocks are working. I mean, because the 10 year Pete is at 143, 140. I mean, that's something you're looking at closely as these stocks continue to work. It's no surprise if the 10 years falling, then these stocks are going to be working. Sure. Well, you know, the, and we talked about this for a long time now. Uh, we've talked about the pause that we've seen from Apple and Microsoft. A lot of those names that had paused, although Facebook was not in the pause category, it's been on, on fire. But you, wow, you, know, you look across at the mm. fangs. Sorry to interrupt you, Pete. I overdid and, it. And, and, I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I overdid but, it on the 10-year. We're at 136 now. That's, that's yeah, the lowest levels of the day. Yeah. You concerned about that? <laughs> right. 
I think it's something concerning. Uh, you know, Raul Paul's been all over this, and he talked about the idea that, hey, look, everybody's talking about worried about the upside. How about the downside? What if we break through 1.4? What if we start to slip a little bit further? Now, this is one day, so let's not make too much of this, but I, I think the reality is there are a lot of folks out there that are very, very concerned, I think, watching this, and obviously you can see that with what people are doing with their hands and legs. They are jumping and getting out of financials and materials. To Josh's point, a lot of those different areas that everybody said, well, you got to be in materials, you got to be in energy. I still believe in the energy materials trade, but I think that the reality is they've had an unbelievable run since November. They've, they've had this incredible uh, stretching, long stretch of run. Why couldn't they pause for a little while? Maybe that's what we're seeing right now. I don't think those trades are over with, but I think the reality is we have been starting to see more and more flows come into technology names, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Apple. You go through the entire list, all of those names just continue to hit, including today. The first four unusual option activities, this isn't giving anything away because these aren't on the list for later, but the very first four that hit on our programs today were Apple, Google, Amazon, and NVIDIA. So it gives you a little bit of a sense of what people going into today, looking at some of the different things that are going on in the backdrop, and a lot of gigantic paper. When I look at Amazon and somebody buys 10,000 calls in Amazon, that says a lot because we're not talking about dollar calls or $3 calls. We're talking about calls that go all the way up to $40. So very, very expensive, and yet they are continuing to run into a lot of these uh, uh, technology names. Joe, the 10 years is dragging the overall market, don't you think? I mean, if the 10-year continues to drop, stocks are going to drop it's in some respects. Because now, no. you know, it's going to make you question. It's going to make you question a lot of things, isn't it? Well, first of all, welcome back, Scott. But absolutely, we've been talking about the 10-year, and we've been trying to figure the puzzle, the riddle. Why is the 10-year pricing at 1.35? On June 1st, the 10-year was 1.60. We've got a 25 basis point decline here on the better part of one month. Since then, growth is up 8%. Values down 2%. So what is the market doing? The market is just reacting and responding to that very aggressive pullback in yields. That's why you're seeing right now the attraction towards growth, which really equates to defense in the market. And that's going to continue to persist if you're going to see yields move lower. The reasoning behind why these yields continue to move lower, is it the Delta variant or is it, Scott, that basically we have reopened? You only reopen once. And the roaring 20s and the narrative surrounding the roaring 20s and outsized above trend economic growth, well, that's great for society, but maybe not equating to uh, the economy in reality growing organically. Shannon, Rick Santelli, who knows rates as well as anybody, says you, you get close to the support zone of 135 to 138, and we're right in the zone, okay? If you close below that, then you could get a 1% retest on the 10 year. I don't think the market's going to love that. No, I don't disagree with you, Scott. I think that there is some concern. We saw the services number today. It was a little bit weaker than anticipated. And to Joe's point, you only reopen once. And I want to go back, actually, to 2010, when we were really looking for the U.S. economy to hit that escape velocity. And we had a, a period of low interest rates and low growth for a decade following the financial crisis. I think the economic situation is certainly different here. We've had significantly more stimulus, particularly on the fiscal side. But this is what we were talking 
talking about six or eight weeks ago that we can hit this period where we're between, you know, the end of the earnings season for our, for second quarter. We're waiting for thir- for first quarter, excuse me, second quarter earnings are have yet to come out yet. We're not going to get a lot of corporate announcements over the course of the summer, and we don't have Jackson Hole until August. And so we're in this bit, bit of this no man's land where if you start to see, you know, some weakness in the energy trade, some weakness in input prices, we're seeing the price of lumber, for instance, fall precipitously. So maybe these inflation concerns really were transitory, but perhaps they reflect the fact that we might have a bit of a slowing of this economic recovery. And I'm not saying that that will persist. I still continue to think that in the third and fourth quarter, we'll see a reacceleration, particularly on the enterprise side for the U.S. economy and for the global economy at large. But we are in a bit of no man's land this summer where I think people are looking for clues. And where do you stay if you're looking for clues and you're not so sure? In some of these large cap tech names, to Josh's point, which have delivered for you over the last three or four years. Yeah. So, Josh, Tom Lee out, out today, right? He, he called this as right as anybody. He said you're going to hit 43, 4,400 in the first half of the year. We're there. And now he says there's going to be chop because you're going to have what he calls a Delta variant panic. Now, you may get through that, but that's what he thinks is the base case right now. And no secret that you do have concerns about the Delta variant. You have rates dropping. Now you have the market a little bit concerned, perhaps, with what's going on. How do you see that? I, I guess I, I don't appreciate that the coronavirus wants to keep dropping new variants like it's uh, sneaker drops. Like, I'm not interested in the Delta variant. I read a note this morning from Wall Street about the Lambda variant. I don't want any variants. I'm all set. Good news is vaccinated adults are equally protected from the variants as they were from the, the original uh, uh, virus that was spreading here prior to the vaccinations. So that has not changed. I understand, though, that maybe there would be some people who sell some of their portfolio off thinking there's going to be a big drop when that variant proves to do whatever it's going to do. I don't know that that's going to be the case. And you have not been rewarded over the last six months for reacting to those temporary setbacks in the way the world is dealing with the virus. So I would just put that aside. I think Joe made a very powerful point that you only reopen once. I think Shannon kind of touched on this. The comps are going to get harder. You're not going to have 30 percent month over month growth in these various metrics that we follow as we get deeper into the year. Because the economy was really already starting to reopen by this time last year, right? So it was fun to lap the March quarter, lap the April quarter, and, and read about GDP up 20% in a, in a month. Okay, that's fun. That won't continue. The comps obviously get more difficult to have these shocking upside results. Do we want to look at that as a negative? We certainly can if we want. I would prefer to look at it as normalization. A lot of the people that are now screaming about retests on the 10-year judge mm-hmm. of 1% or 1.25%, they were the same people who told you who told you 2% or 2.5% would be the end of the world. So which is it? Which is it, Goldilocks? Which do you want it too hot? Do you want it too cold? Let me ask you this. Can I like, for example, can I like your live nation, which is down three and a third percent today? while at the same time liking Mm. some of the tech names that are getting a benefit of lower rates and maybe concerns about the full recovery because of the variant, this variant, that variant, or whatever variant. You have to. You have to. Because you want to have stocks in your portfolio that are going up against a terrible year because as they report earnings and as things continue to come out better than expected, those stocks should work. 
And there is a rotation underlying this market. So this week, it looks as though Google, Apple, Microsoft, that trade is invincible. We don't know what next week will look like. That is the hallmark of a powerful bull market where different groups take their turn uh, leading. Not a lot of people even know this. REITs are leading the entire S&P this year. REITs. Who, who would have been guessing that in January, right? So you, you've got to have a balance of different sectors uh, in your portfolio. I think the biggest danger, Judge, for our viewers is to pick a story and then weight their entire portfolio as though that's the right answer. It's very, very hard to do that. Almost nobody can do that. The, the, the better bet is to say, I want a little bit of exposure to all of these different outcomes because I don't know which one will become the dominant theme in the future. So, Pete, let's let's focus on the you only uh, reopen once idea, because Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley says markets are likely to take a break this summer because, yeah, the economy's booming, but it's a known known and the markets aren't reflecting it. Right. So if the markets aren't re- reflecting it or buying into that story anymore, where does it come from? Where does the upside come from? Well, I, I, I think uh, if, you, if you take a look at the rotation that we've all been talking about, I think the areas that had been lagging are probably the areas that still can have us moving to the upside. There was a question last week about what do you think going into the second half of the year and uh, are we going to be up? Are we going to be down? Are we going to you know, be as up as we were in the first half of the year? All those questions were being asked. And I think the reality was that all of us gave the same answer, which was we think that there's room to the upside. We don't know that we're going to see the same kind of results as we did in the first half of the year. I still stand by that. I do think there is rotation, though. And right now the rotation is back towards those fang names. And to Josh's point, that could change. But for now, when you look at the first six months of the year and we all were looking at Apple and wondering, when is this stock going to finally start to move again? Is it going to start to move again? And I think we're starting to see some of that as it's approaching those highs that it hit not too terribly long ago. And I think there's a lot of room for a lot of these different stocks, some of them which are still very inexpensive, I think, on a forward P.E. Now, some of them are a little bit more stretched than others. But when I look at, for instance, Facebook, it's been too cheap, makes incredible cash, and the CEO is Teflon. So you put that combination together, and that's why that stock, I think, has been just rising and rising and rising and establishing new highs. So I think there are different areas of the market that can lead, uh, uh, lead right now. And I still think when I look at the FANG name specifically, that's an area that had paused, at least for the most part, and has, still has plenty of room, I think, to the upside. Joe, I, I know nobody wants to talk about this, and, and I, don't, I don't blame them, but you know, for some of, of our children, they're going to be going back to school in less than two months, right? There are a lot of kids who go back to school at the, end, the very end of August, you know, before Labor Day, Joe. So I think Joe's frozen. Well, I'll throw that to Shannon, right? So I hope you, you heard the, the premise of the, of the question I'm asking. So what happens if the Delta variant um, becomes predominant here, which it already is, and then it spreads even more, which it is likely to do, and that you can't send your, your children back to school the way you, you thought you were going to be able to because that creates a whole other issue that the market's going to have to deal with. That's that never happening again. I know you say that, and I, I, I would tend to Never agree again. with you. I would tend to agree with you, but it's easy to say that until you have kids who are of the age who couldn't get vaccinated and who are worried about a Delta variant that is spreading wildly in various places. We don't have transmission in schools. We don't have transmission in schools. It's the safest place for kids to okay. be, 
empirically we know this, the, the, the spread is happening at sleepovers on the weekends. That's they are fine. never judged. That's fine. They are never going to do that again. Okay. It's not, I don't want to, we're not going to have a medical debate because that's not what we're here to do. I'm just no. suggesting if the Delta variant Political starts to spread debate. even more, then, <laughs> then, then you just think the market's going to ignore everything? No one's going to care? Nope. But they will, never, they will never close the schools down indefinitely again. It's not going to happen. Wrong risk. Okay. Shannon, why don't you take it? I would, but I, I think it goes back to what is normal, right? We're talking about normalizing. And I think there's been a lot of discussion. Josh just made a great point, you know, thinking about your portfolio being diverse. Because the reality is if everybody's sitting around waiting to go back to the fourth quarter of 2019, it's not happening. To the question about schools, there's a lot of people who are still working from home. And frankly, I see companies making the decision to to push that out even further. I think hedging a bit against some of these variants and the fact that kids are not yet vaccinated. I don't disagree with Josh, but I think normalcy, we don't know what the new normal looks like for the next two years. We know what's happened historically after recessions. We know that small caps and cyclicals run. We know that the fact that you can get in and as long as you're there early, you can benefit fit from that. But, you know, is Live Nation or as many people going to be going to concerts? I don't know, but there's a heck of a lot more people going to a concert right now than they did at this time last year. So think about it from perspective of if you expect there to be a sustained global, global, make a point, global economic rebound over the next two to three years, your diverse basket can include a lot of different companies. But there are some trends, the Zoom trend, the Teladoc trend, the fact that, you know what, I order everything online now, I'm probably not going to go in, back into the store as much as I used to. Those things aren't changing. And so you don't have to wait for 2019 to reappear to situate your portfolio appropriately for the next three years. And this is a great time if the next six weeks have this pullback based on Tom Lee's concerns about it's a great time to add to those types of companies that you're going to be really happy you own three years from now. Yeah. All right. Let's bring in our headliner guest today. Brian Belsky is the chief investment strategist at BMO. He joins us live from Minneapolis today with his mid-year outlook. Mr. Belsky, welcome back. The judge, how are you? I'm good, Great thanks. time off, I uh, presume. Very, very good. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm happy to be back. and I'm glad we're having this conversation. What's up with the market? What, the 10 years dropping like a stone. Is that why stocks are at the lows of the day? I think so. Uh, I think there's three big themes. Uh, when growth is scarce, growth outperforms. And I think we're transitioning from momentum growth to more consistent growth. That's the number one theme. Number two theme, this is about stock picking. And I think a lot of investors have forgotten how to pick stocks. We're too macro focused. And number three, it's the Jackie Moon market, meaning everybody love everybody. And what does that mean? It means that you want to be equal weight across growth and value. You want to be equal weight across uh, across small, mid, and large. And you really want to focus on your core competencies as a portfolio manager, whether or not you're a value manager or a growth manager. Pick what's best in terms of your spot. But I think the market has, I've said all along this year, the market has a wrong on inflation. Follow the bond market, follow the Fed. We've tried to outsmart ourselves again. Uh, and I think you need to really focus on the strength of the U.S. market overall and the strength of consistency of our earnings. And that's really going to be the key. I mean, Josh said it best. You can't be, you can't go one way or the other. The market is too binary uh, and you have to be diversified across all sectors. And you have to really think about some of the moves that has happened. Like REITs make absolutely no fundamental sense to me uh, that they've led this year because 
because we've been in a, a rising rate environment. We thought, but now rates are going down, so now it doesn't make sense. Energy's way overdone on the upside. We think you're going to lighten up somewhere, yeah. lighten up there, maintain your tech holdings, and play theme, Scott. And I think a lot of investors are very uncomfortable thinking like that. I don't know. That almost sounds too perfect, Belsky. Like, it's too generic. It's equal weight everything. I mean, in, in this environment, I'm sorry, but if, the, if rates are going to continue to fall and Centelli's right, and if you do close below that, that, that channel that he's talking about, and then we start talking about are we really going to go back to 1% on the 10-year in that environment, why would I want to be equal weight everything? Why wouldn't I? And if we're worried about the Delta variant, which the data coming out of Israel is somewhat concerning, if I'm worried about all that, why would I want to be equal weight value and cyclicals to growth? Why wouldn't I want to go much well, heavier think- growth? Listen, uh, again, you want to be overweight communication services and technology for the next three to five years. Those are the growth vehicles of the economy, period. Now, I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV, and I always caution my colleagues around the world, um, stop trying to be a doctor, uh, pick stocks and be, be, be a strategist. And I, and I think that's what our job is. And I think at the end of the day, uh, we, can't be, uh, f- uh, we can't be led by fear uh, because fundamentals diffuse fear. Well, fear. And that's it's what facts. the market says. Why is fear? Uh, why, why are no, we going Scott, we don't facts? know that, though. Yeah, but we don't know that, Scott. We don't know that. And I think we, we're getting too wrapped up into the fear of the Delta variant, and we're not focusing on, on the positives uh, with respect to what's going on in the market. And the U.S. economy continues to do well. It's going to continue to pace. And it's just like I said on your program, live on TV, March 23rd, 2020, and I also published that day. The fortitude and strength of the U.S. economy and the stock markets want to get, get us out of this, and it did. Now you have to be diversified, not all your eggs in one basket. Yes, longer term, definitely overweight tech and communication services, but play themes until then. We think markets have been too momentum laden, too non-process and discipline, too rhetoric driven. You have to stick with the fundamentals, pick stocks and stay in your discipline. Why is the Nasdaq down 100 points? What do you think? Well, I, I, again, I think I think some of the the, the heavier growth names um, it might have some issues in terms of, uh, of of just growth proposals. I think some people have forgotten that third quarter, second and third quarter are kind of tougher on technology with respect to numbers longer term. That's really the trend. But you run a stick with stable growth, consistent growth, and that's why you, you coined the phrase earlier in the in the program. The big five makes so much sense, but so do secular tech ideas like Nvidia still make a lot of sense in terms of portfolios longer term. And I still think you don't want it completely abandoned financials. I think the big financials, like the Bank of America's J.P. Morgan's, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley's, those thematically driven stocks of scale, still make a lot of sense longer term. It's the regional banks that I worry more about, Scott, especially given the fact the yield curve's flattening in the absolute level of yields. It's harder for those companies to make money from net interest margin um, uh, compression, know, where the larger banks, I think, are better positioned. You can't tell me that the- these larger banks, the ones that I'm looking in the red across the board, are going to do anything in an environment where rates continue to go lower. This ain't going to happen. Yeah, this is not. Th- you know it. Think you about, know it, think, too. Well, think about, no, Scott, I mean, think about where the growth proposal is for, 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 for banks, right? It's wealth management. It's wealth management and capital markets. And that's where we're going to make our money in terms of, of continuing to have access to capital in, in the free markets, but also wealth management. So let's, let's talk about this. If, you, if you're going to see rates go lower, then you're going to see portfolio shift into fixed income. That's a transaction. Okay. We're transaction-oriented businesses, and that's why they're going to continue to work. Well, you're speaking Morgan Stanley's business then, but not every 
everybody's business. Not everybody has that that big um, ramp towards towards wealth management. It's, it's not one size fits all, Brian. No, it's not. And that's why you want the multi-divisional assets. OK, so it is it is a Goldman Sachs because Goldman Sachs, look at what they've done in private wealth uh, the last six to 12 months. Look at Bank of America. Look at J.P. Morgan. Look at the Canadian banks. I mean, they are many big conglomerate banks. They're 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 many uh, multinational banks. And I mean, they're uh, the top 10 banks in North America. Four of them are, are Canadian. So that's why we like those multi-divisional assets, because the wealth management business is going to be strong. Commercial bank and lending is going to be strong in capital markets. All right. I, I like the plug you threw in there for the Canadian banks. All right. I mean, you know, it is what it is, I suppose. The guy with the BMO over his shoulder. Josh Brown has a question for Belsky. Hey, Belsky. Great to see you. I, I agree with hey. most of what you had to say. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been talking about um, the idea that we're in a secular bull market that started in the spring of 13 when we broke above the 2000 and 2007 highs. And if you think about it from that context, the coronavirus year 2020 looks a lot more like 1987, which happened at the midpoint of the 82 to 2000 secular bull market. So if we're only halfway, like based on that, that premise, I think the biggest risk to stocks is just oversupply. We did 226 IPOs already year to date, which is obviously double the pace from last year. $80 billion in new assets raised. That's not slowing down. When do we get to the point where there's just too many stocks and that ends up being a weight on the markets? Do you think we're getting close to that moment or is that far away from from now, given how much cash there still is in the financial system? It's an excellent point. And, you know, capacity versus scarcity. There's been a scarcity of, of stocks and scarcity of ideas and scarcity of shares, right, because of all the buybacks. And, oh, by the way, some of the things yep. that you just talked about are going to be taken care of by, by buybacks. We know what the banks are going to be doing in terms of buybacks. And all you have to do is take a look at the path of treasuries relative to buyback themes. So I think buybacks are going to continue. But I think, you know what, no one's talking about it all anymore is this great rotation out of fixed income and into equity. We had a 39-year bull market in bonds. What are we going to start? Where are we going to see moves out of bonds? And Rick Santelli, I don't know if he's right or wrong, but that just that just only elongates the equity bull market, Josh, because we haven't seen that money leave fixed income and go into equities. So I think there's a long runway in, in equities. And oh, by the way, I don't believe all this survey stuff that people are negative. I mean, if uh, if you on the survey side, the best gauge of a customer's activity in terms of their sentiment is talk to them and i don't think we've talked to enough clients if i talk to my clients they're all everyone's nervous nobody wants to jump on the bull market wealth manager wealth management high net worth people want to put money to work they do and i think that's going to be the strength of the market going forward that's where the cash is going to come from what's your what's your target for next year on the s p for 2022 we haven't put out our target we usually do that uh in the fourth quarter uh, that's been our process for 30 years, and uh, we just like we published our our 2021 target in November. Uh, we'll see where that goes. I think 2022 could be bumpier, uh, but let's what you know we're going to underpromise and overdeliver. That's what we try to do, and I think 4,500 on our target for this year might be too low. Our $190 target on earnings uh, is going to be too low, I think. Uh, but let's see how we get there, what the comp, uh, composition of the market is. And I think at the end of the year, you're going to see 
eerily similar performance in growth versus value. So again, on a relative basis, you probably have a growth trade coming. It's already happening. Uh, but I think it's going to be eerily similar performance in terms of those two assets in particular uh, at the end of the year. Now, we, we, I got I to let you go because I got to take a quick break. But um, when you were last on and I asked you, what area more than any other do you want to be? And I mean, I know we just talked about this, but just to underscore how, your belief in this sector, you said financials, financials, financials. Not once, not twice, but three times it was so nice. Are you rethinking that now? <laughs> just look me straight in the camera and tell me you still believe that. I still believe that, especially in the big banks. And I still believe that the majority of institutional clients are massively underweight. And so, again, that's we're going to be your trading vehicle, I really think. But again, longer term, we love tech and communication services. But I did say financials, 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 and I named them my favorite stocks here right on air. All right. Good stuff. Belsky, always appreciate having you on. You be well. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. That's BMO's Brian Belsky joining us. Coming up, Didi and the big China stocks, they're plunging today on more fears of more crackdowns. So should you buy the drop or stay away altogether? We'll debate that with the group next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. Back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. U.S. military says that its withdrawal from Afghanistan is now more than 90 percent complete. Afghan forces are guarding the Bagram Air Base, which was America's largest in the country. So far, seven facilities have been handed over to the Afghan military. In eastern Russia, the crash site has been found where a plane slammed into a cliff in heavy fog. Officials say that all 28 people on board did die. Britney Spears' manager for the last 25 years has resigned. Larry Randolph says that Spears intends to officially retire, so his services will no longer be required. And tonight on the news, is Britney really retiring? And what does this mean for her conservatorship? Tune in tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And here's a new take on go big or go home. The world's tallest sandcastle has been built in northern Denmark. That is 69 feet high. And it took 30 sand sculptors use 
using more than 5,000 tons of sand to create it. They even coated the sand castle in a layer of glue, which should help it last through the fall and even through most of the winter. Okay, now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Appreciate that. Thank you. China stocks, they're getting slammed today on fears of more crackdowns. Names like Didi, Alibaba, Tencent, and Baidu are all down today. Our gang's going to talk about that in a minute. Steve Weiss joins us, though, right now on the phone. Steve, you there? I'm here, Scott. So Welcome back. You, thank you. you. You owned, you know, a name like Alibaba earlier in the year. I don't think you own any Chinese stocks today. Would you ever own them again is the question. I would not own them uh, again uh, for a very simple reason, is that when you own a Chinese stock that's listed in the U.S., that's an ADR, you basically own nothing. And there's a good chance you have no uh, avenue to collect if you get into a dispute. I've sued through my fund uh, Chinese companies that have uh, ripped off U.S. shareholders by taking companies private at far below what they're worth. And since they're Cayman listed companies, you go there. But these companies are, I won't get technical here, variable interest equities, VIEs. And they were created to get around the Chinese laws that forbid foreign ownership in critical industries. But they're all critical industries. So it's technology, it's telecom, et cetera. So just the, that, just the very fact they're created to get around the law is a warning signal. And what do these VIEs own? They don't own any assets in the Cayman Islands. They don't even have an office or employees. All they do is have a right to the revenue stream or the loss stream of these companies. Yeah. All the assets remain. And the Chinese government's repeatedly said, we don't like these. So right. on well, one let, hand, you've got... The, let me, let me ask sorry, you this, yeah. though. Let yeah. me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that I tossed to you at the very beginning, I mentioned that you owned BABA as recently as, let's say, the beginning of this year. Now, all of this may be escalating today and recently, but it's not like it's all that new of this interference you're getting um, from the authorities over in China. So what was the breaking point for you, which made you say, I'm never going to buy any of these stocks again, if as recently as six months ago, you were still willing to try and play the game in these names? Well, actually, six months ago, if if you go back to what I said, I owned Baba as a trade, momentum trade. And it was thought some point, at some point that Biden was going to be easier on the Chinese companies. It turns out he's tougher. And the reason I sold it is because Jack Ma yeah. got so arrogant, hey. he attacked the Chinese government. Hey, Steve, forgive me for interrupting you. I've got to go to Elon yeah. Moy, who has breaking news. I'll come back to you. Don't hang up. Let me go okay. to Elon, okay. though, who has breaking news, and it's regarding Microsoft and Amazon. Elon? Scott, the Department of Defense is announcing that it is canceling that $10 billion Jedi cloud computing contract. Remember, the Defense Department had awarded that contract to Microsoft. Amazon had protested that decision, claiming in part political interference by the former Trump administration. Now the Defense Department saying it's not moving forward with that contract at all. And in a statement said, it has become clear that the Jedi Cloud contract no longer meets the requirements to fill the DOD's capability gaps. Instead, the Defense Department says it's going to issue a new proposal for the joint warfighter cloud capability contract in which it will seek proposals from Microsoft and Amazon in order to fulfill those needs. But again, Department of Defense canceling the Jedi contract, saying that it no longer meets the needs of its capability gaps. Back over to you, Scott. But they're still in the game. That's what it sounds like. Elon, thanks so much. Elon Moy with the update for us there. Back with Steve Weiss and our gang uh, having this conversation about 
whether as an investor you should own China stocks of, of, of any kind. Shannon, you do. You own Alibaba, the very name that we're discussing with Steve Weiss. Are you are you selling it here? No, I'm not selling it here. I don't disagree with Steve. I, I think there is a you know, an additional level or layer of risk. Um, really, any time that you're investing in stocks where there's significant government intervention in the way that companies do their business. Um, I just look at this from the perspective of what Alibaba represents and as both an e-commerce player and a cloud player. And at some point, you know, there does come a tipping point for the Chinese government that they understand that if they want to be able to um, compete globally, which I, I do think they want to do, that there are going to be some, you know, some push and pull here. I don't disagree with Steve. I think the, the Biden uh, stance on China is certainly a little bit different than some were anticipating. But for me, you know, I look at this for the next couple of years. I think that there's a, a, an incredible amount of opportunity in this name. It doesn't mean that I'm loading the boat up on a, a million different Chinese stocks. Um, but I do think that there is just the, this additional level of headline risk. I do want to note, Scott, this is an investment year for Alibaba. So not dissimilar to what we've seen from Amazon on, uh, over several years over the last few. Um, this is an investment year. So they are putting a lot back into the business. So from a financial perspective, this overhang doesn't help, given that that's the fundamental situation for the company this, this year as yeah. well. Josh, hey, just, Scott, yeah, let me just Steve, clarify. I mean, I'm not do, saying, this doesn't I'm strike not me don't as... Own any, go ahead. I'm, I'm not saying don't own any Chinese stocks. You can own the B shares that trade in China. China wants the capital coming into their markets. They want to legitimize their markets, which is why they created the star market to compete with NASDAQ. I'm saying don't own the ADR. Yeah, I know, but I, I, know, I know. But once you start getting into, you know, you know, oh, don't own A, but 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 you can own B. People say, see <laughs> you later. Right. They're not even going to. Exactly. U.S. investors exactly. aren't even going to deal with, with that nonsense. This, this doesn't even sound to me, though like your run-of-the-mill interference, Josh. There was a time where you, you had liked the K-Web, right? All of these big Chinese Internet names. Now, would you stay away as well? Yeah. I, no. And I think what's happened was the, the, there's less of a need for U.S. investors to pick individual Chinese uh, technology or, or um, Internet stocks or even to own them as a sector because what's happened over the last five years is that China has very successfully lobbied uh, the index providers, MSCI being a really good example, to have those index providers more accurately re reflect the global market cap opportunity for Chinese large cap companies. And as a result, everyone that's watching this probably has some exposure to emerging markets through an index fund of some sort. Um, IEMG or EEM or whatever, in the MSCI Emerging Markets Index, uh, Chinese companies overall are 37.5%, and technology companies are 20%. So a lot of that is China. Alibaba and Tencent together, two stocks, are 10% of the Emerging Market Index. So we have that exposure as a, as a population. Americans, we're in already. So then the question is, do you want to overweight a Chinese company specifically? And I agree with Steve. I don't think that's a game that a majority of people should play. One last point. It's a little bit hypocritical for us to look at the way in which uh, China has to kind of slap some of their companies around here and there uh, because we're doing the same thing. It looks a little bit more democratic the way we do it. 
as I'm speaking, there are a dozen different bills circulating around both houses of Congress to try to punish this company or that company or limit the other company. We do it, too. Trump did it via tweet. It's, mm. it's not, not to this uh, specific not to, to this China. No. no, we're trying. No. Not to if you, this extent. If, if you not put AOC in charge, no. No, she would, but, but she would close Amazon. Yeah, well, well, she's not. She's not. Well, right. China we know is she's trying not. to control And neither is China. Joe, I... And neither is China. China is trying to control its technology. Says the, guy who has, says the guy I who own, has a big exposure in the IEMG. That's what I wanted to come to you about. Just, just be quick, though. Absolutely. I'm playing, it through the, I'm playing it through the ETF. Josh is right. That's the right way to play it. You don't want to overexpose yourself to single stocks when you've got an environment when the Chinese government wants to literally take over the technology sector in their own company. I got burned on PDD, Pinduoduo. Duo. I'll never go back owning individual Chinese stocks. I don't think you wow. could do it in this environment. And it's one of the reasons why I got out of Nike. From the environmental standpoint, I was concerned about what's going on right now in China. Much different environment than what's going on here in the United States. They are taking control of technology. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we'll come back in a second with two bullish calls on two Dow components. One of them hitting an all-time high today. We'll debate it next in our calls of the day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. Cisco called the top second half idea at Morgan Stanley. The firm sees continued upside during the CapEx cycle. It's one of our calls of the day today. Shannon, you own that top second half idea. Big words. Target Love 50, to hear it. Target 50. <laughs> yeah. so the, the top second half idea is only going to get you 7% from here, though. I don't know if that matches up to what I would expect from a top second half idea. <laughs> Well, whether it's the second half or the next couple of years, Scott, you know, I think that the uh, the knock on Cisco is that everybody was talking about everything moving to the cloud. And to be honest with you, hybrid environments are going to persist. They're very well um, situated to take advantage of that to to, you know, take advantage of additional outlays. Great dividend. Um, free cash flow supports that dividend. Uh, I, I love the stock and I love it for a lot longer term than just the next six months. So, Pete, you own Cisco as well. Uh, what do you think about this top second half idea? But again, price target 57 bucks. So we're not talking about a monster rise from here, according at least to this note. Yeah, a very stable company that, that we all know. And Chuck Robb has done an unbelievable job, I think, over the years. But performance has not been as great as so many others. But it is old school tech, Scott. I love this name. I bought this name a little over a month ago. Stock was virtually right about where it is right now. You do get a decent dividend yield. I create dividend yields by selling calls against it every single week or month, whatever works out. So I like this name. I don't feel nervous about this name to the downside whatsoever. And when I look at the P.E., it trades very inexpensive still, especially if you want to trade against some of the other big cap tech names. This name continues to trade at a P.E. that's very, very palatable. But that's probably why we're not seeing as much upside. You create that upside by selling options. Man, you shouldn't have sold Amex, Pete. 
You sold it on February 23rd. Yes, I should. You should have. The stock's up 25% since then. They got Goldman Sachs upgraded okay. it today with a 30% bump. Well, here's the deal. Okay. So American Express, great company. I absolutely love them. I was in this stock, and it was trading at a 10 multiple when I first got in. Then all of a sudden, the multiple, in my opinion, got much higher. Yes, it's gone up 25%. Compare this name to Capital One, another credit card type company going head to head. If you look at the three month, the year to date, the one year or the two year, you're going to see who outpaces the other one. And oh, by the way, I look over at Capital One trading at nine or 10 times earnings. And I look now at American Express at 26 times earnings. I like where I am and I'd rather be where I am than American Express right now. You told our producers today, I will own Capital One over Amex all day long. Pete just put his words with that too. All, all day right, long. Good stuff, Pete. Up next, we've got Pete back. He's got unusual activity for you. We'll be back right after this. Pete, let's do unusual. You're hanging with Mr. Cooper today. I am hanging with Mr. Cooper. As a matter of fact, mortgage finance company that this is very unusual. They're going all the way out to January, Scott. They're buying 10,000 of the January 35 calls, paying about $2.90 for those. Stock trading around 32 and a half. They are hedging themselves, selling the upside call away from that, the January 40 call, selling 15,000 of those. The next one I've got for you is, is a pretty interesting one as well, Workday. We don't talk about this one all that often. Stock was 280 back in February. Now it's trading around 240 or maybe even a little bit below that. Somebody stepped in there buying the July. July 9 expiring, that's this Friday, expiring calls, and they're buying the 247 and a half. They're paying between 50 cents and 76 cents, 4,500 of those trading. So that, that one's definitely stood out for me as well, Scott. A stock that has been coming down, coming down, coming down since February. Maybe it's finally ready to bounce. We'll see. All right, good stuff. We will see uh, all of you in just two Thanks. minutes after this break and final trades. Uh, we'll get to final trades in just a minute. What a wild session, though, for the NASDAQ. Look at that. We're having our conversation mid-show with Brian Belsky. NASDAQ's down 100. Now it's only down 50. Dow was touching a low of about 400 or so, and we're obviously watching the move in the 10-year note yield very, very closely today, sitting right at about 136. Key level. Joe, is that now the thing to watch? Here We're watching the 10-year again, only now we're not worried about it going up. We're worried about going back down. Uh, it's been the concern over the past month, clearly, and uh, avoid concentration, as we've talked about at the beginning of the show. Clearly, as you said before, if it goes down below 120, you're going to see growth and mega cap technology be the favored sector. Yeah, what's your, fa uh, what's your final trade? Speaking of, Joe. Final, final trade is sell some energy, go buy some Honeywell, which is sitting right above its 200-day moving average, which gives you a nice point of reference stop. All right, good stuff. Shan? Uh, Stryker, the uh, the tail for reopening in healthcare is just getting started. There's a lot of pent up demand for procedures, and Stryker is going to benefit from that. Okay, thank you for that, Pete Nigerian. I'm going to give you Coke, Scott. I see some call activity in there that says to me that Coke is going to really have a nice report when they have earnings in a couple of weeks. All right, and Josh Brown. Amazon, this is the sickest breakout I've seen in a long time. It's real. There is no resistance. Yeah. All-time high today, uh, along with Facebook and Microsoft and Google and Apple's having a pretty decent day on a down tape as well. Thank you so very much for watching. Does it for us. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.